1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
0: What does that mean for all the downtown businesses? Even if they're just coming downtown, you know, maybe one or two days less a week. If enough people do that, the bars and restaurants and coffee shops retailers that have been really hit hard by this pandemic downtown anyway you know they need a lot of help and if they have fewer customers that are going to be downtown every day you know what does that do to do you have more boarded up storefronts do you have less vibrant downtown and does that make it then less attractive to people i mean you could see all these different challenges piling up
2: that's danny Acker, reporter at crane's chicago business talking about the long-term impact the pandemic may have on chicago's downtown real estate this is WBBM's In Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Kodo. This week, we take a look at the country getting back to business and the new norms people should expect from big changes in travel to the workplace and even going to the movie theater. First, there were results of a trial announced, and they show a cheap and widely used steroid could be very effective in treating COVID 19. Let's get all the details on that from Michelle Cortez, a health reporter at Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. Michelle, tell us about this drug.
3: Right. So it's a drug that probably everybody has heard of but might not think about it. It's just a, it's a steroid. It's something that you can take to help you fight all kinds of infections. And it's a pill. It's very easily available. It's called dexamethasone. And it's great news for patients that we do know that there is something that can help people live longer at this point.
2: And that's basically whether they are in serious conditions, say a ventilator or, or maybe having less of a struggle with it. Is it, is it showing that kind of a, a wide variety of benefit?
3: It is in patients who are actually more seriously ill. patients who are on a ventilator and who are fighting for their lives in the hospital. So it's not necessarily people who are just early stages. Again, most people who get coronavirus infections do recover on their own. So for those patients, we don't know for sure that this steroid is going to be helpful for them. But for the people who are the most at risk of dying, namely those who are hospitalized, who have other conditions, who are on a ventilator, they're the ones who are getting a benefit here. It's reducing mortality rates by a third to a half.
2: Yeah, and you touched on the cost. It seems like that makes it even more valuable because you're not talking about some uh, high-priced brand-new drug.
3: Exactly. This is a medicine that's widely available. Cisco, It's beneficial across the board, right? It is cheap. It is easy to make, so that means we're not going to have people fighting over it. We saw with remdesivir, the first medicine, that actually we've only known that one to help people recover more quickly. It's not that you're more likely to survive, but um, getting access to that was difficult. They were parceling it out to certain hospitals across the country. Patients and families were like trying to figure out how they could get access to it. This is dexamethasone. Every hospital in the country has this. Every patient, every, I'm sorry, every pharmacy has access to it. So it is just not something that we're going to have an issue with when it comes to supply.
2: how, How long does it take before hospitals widely start to use something like this? Do they need something from the federal government or what do they need to move forward?
3: Yeah, it's It's approved and it's widely used for many things. So honestly, it's just an issue at this point of getting the information to doctors. There is so much information coming out these days, right? I mean, we've all seen it. There's just study upon study upon study. But the fact that this actually has a benefit when it comes to survival, you would certainly hope that there will be a concerted effort to get that information to doctors. The flip side of that is, is that there's not a drug company that's going to make money from it. So there isn't somebody out there who sending their sales representatives to every doctor's office to push it, push it, push it and make sure that they know. So maybe it's another reason for just average people to be aware that this drug is beneficial. And if you have a loved one who's dealing with coronavirus, maybe ask the doctor about it.
2: Certainly optimistic about the effectiveness of that drug. There is also optimism about the effectiveness of contact tracing, something that most of us hadn't even heard of just a few weeks ago, but now we're hearing about it all the time and it may be a way to keep a lot of people safe. Tom Gimbel is here. He is founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, joining us to talk about contact tracing. Tom, let's begin with that. Give us a thumbnail sketch. What is contact tracing and why are so many governments and businesses really eager to get it going?
4: Well, if people are going to be bringing in the virus, people companies are wanting to know where their employees have been and if they have the virus, where it's coming from. And so it's really going to – it's getting into the private sector, but it's something that's been happening in China is where it started, and and Korea, and they've been able to contain the the virus because then they can track it and know where to not let people have access or where they've been to. And if you have a lot of people coming into your office, it's a great way to prevent – uh, the spread and uh, and bringing the, the virus into the office
2: is the idea if you've been somewhere where there's infection then they can tell you hey you're, you're going to work from home for the next couple of weeks just in case
4: that's exactly right if there's an outbreak at lake of the ozarks and you're there for the fourth of july they're going to be able to know that you've been there and not have you come in and court self-warranty are there privacy
2: concerns here it's always a question we ask whenever you get into something new
4: Well, I think that's the uncharted territory. And, and, you know, next week you'll have a lawyer on who will tell you that they're ready to go to bat on this thing. Um, This is the 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 virus has really reset the rules on a lot of things and both on on individual rights and not taking those away. But where they conflict um, with the well good of society, i.e., if you don't want to wear a mask, well, guess what? You can't come into a lot of offices, and you sure as heck can't get into a lot of retail locations. And I think that this is the, uh, the tracing is going to be a very, very interesting issue. But I'm, I'm not so sure that it's even going to get to the company level. I think governments, from what I'm reading, uh, governments may step in and may do tracing themselves.
2: Are they going to step up monitoring where you are in the actual workplace? I mean, they've been doing that for a while, but now they really want to know where you are if you get infected.
4: Well, if you're traveling, and that's really going to be the, the interesting thing because what overtime exemption and when you're working and turning on and turning off workplace phones and things along those lines is it really does border of when you're on company time and when you're not. However, the majority of employees or what survey data is showing is they don't want to be working around people who have been in an infected area, either, and this is just in a domestic capacity, Cisco. When we get into international travel, after uh, uh, if we don't get a second surge of of COVID-19, it's really going to create a lot of fine lines because companies are going to say to employees, you have to come into the office. It might not be tomorrow. It may not be August or September, but sometime in the next 12 months, being in the office is going to be mandatory for a lot of companies.
2: True, many people are going to be back in the office. However, there are a lot that are really hoping they continue to stay home. They like being there. They actually feel like they are more productive. Are they more productive? Rick Cobb, Executive Vice President at Challenger Gray and Christmas here in Chicago is joining us. Uh, Rick, there are so many possible distractions from the kids to the television to the Internet with no one looking over your shoulder. Is it possible that people could be more
5: productive? Yeah, and don't forget the refrigerator in the bed. That was no kidding. House. No kidding. The other evils. Well, you know, the reality is there's a lot of, of stress in modern life. Just getting to work. You know, you've got to commute. Uh, you're trying to catch a train. Worry about traffic. Uh, link that up. There's uh, what does business casual mean, etc. Uh, those sorts of things, and the interactions that you have in the process of commuting, and they they take a lot of time and energy. The the one of the really nice benefits of working from home is. They're, the commute time is great, uh, and you're not worrying about what you have to wear. As a matter of fact, I'm sure the dry cleaners are another business that's taking a hit. So that's the good news. The, the challenge then becomes uh, being your own boss, and do you get along with that person?
2: And maybe we'll you know, take some time before we get any uh, substantive analysis here. But it would seem like all those hours that you're talking about where they're spent worrying about what they're going to wear and getting out the door and actually sitting in traffic or sitting on a train. Uh, some people may be using those hours to work and, and actually put in extra time.
5: Sure. And that's the case. And you can say when I'm in the car, I'm I'm, I'm on the phone. But one of the things that we've we've proven time and time again, when uh, scientists look at it is. Uh, if you're multitasking, you're bad at it. The, the, if you do one thing and do it really well, that's going to be a lot more effective than doing multiple things. Uh, as someone who's been on the train or driven to work, you know, there's a lot of other things that I'm doing at the same time. So you, there's a good chance that 40% of the activity that you're, uh, involved in is creating mistakes that you're going to have to fix later when you sit down and think.
2: Yeah, have Twitter saying employees can continue working from home, even when the pandemic is gone. Uh, wondering if more and more employers will do that, uh, counting the benefits. I mean, they could reduce their real estate footprint.
5: Sure. It's an absolute fact. Um, we wrote a, a couple of articles last year about the idea of the, the wages for technology workers, particularly programmers not being locked into a location. So the, the, the standard rate was if you're capable of it, you're capable of it no matter where you are, and so we pay whatever the going rate is. What we're finding now with the advent of COVID is there are people uh, in other functions, whether it's human resources or operations, who are not in the same state. But now the the decision maker could say, you know, I know Joanne is really good at this. She's in Dallas, but she doesn't have to be here. She'd still be at home no matter where she was. So I can hire her now.
2: Is there a challenge for the, I'm thinking, new employees coming into a new company, new environment, new work group? It seems like it might be tougher to say, hey, we're going to hire you, but you're working from home.
5: Yeah, it is. I think the, the, the more generationally advanced you are, the more difficult it is. I've got a couple of interns that worked for us who actually left the company and went to another. The entire interviewing process and hiring and onboarding was all done. Uh, via you know, their laptops, they've been there for two months and haven't ever been in the office. For them, it's less of a transition. For you know, millennial like myself, you know, I, I'm worried about my plants. Did they die? Did they get water? What, you know, there's so many other things that are not necessarily work-related. And I think that um, it's it's we we are human beings who like to have body language and interactions So why a, a a video call is going to be more effective than just a phone call. Or writing something. So the the body language stuff and how we pick up cues from people and how we interact with each other, those things are lost. And somebody may have, no pun intended, a leg up by having known the other person personally and had coffee with them and sat face to face with them over the years where you don't get to do that.
2: There is something that you miss when everyone is remote. You can't really build a team culture. That's why a lot of bosses are hoping people are back in-house soon. And yet there are office developments here in the city that have well, they basically come to a standstill, as a lot of people have yet to return to the office. What is the future of the downtown office market? We talked with Danny Ecker, reporter at Crane's Chicago Business, on the WBBM Noon Business Hour about that. Danny, I mean, right now I'm looking out our studio window at Michigan Avenue, and I, I see four cars. I mean, downtown is just not even a shell of what it was a few months ago.
0: Sure. And uh, obviously, hopefully that's uh, all fairly short term and we'll get back to little by little some sense of normalcy. But, you know, there's all kinds of interesting philosophical questions right now about uh, how people are going to behave differently long term, you know, from this, even after there's a vaccine and people feel comfortable again you know, doing some of the things they used to. And, you know, is downtown going to have fewer people that are there every day if more people are working remotely more often? And what does that do to all the businesses downtown and obviously the central area of the city has grown so much over the past decade with companies moving there and people wanting to live and work there um all in the central business district and around it and you know there's a lot of questions now about whether that growth is going to continue
2: doesn't seem like it would take much to have a significant impact i mean 15 20 percent of the workers staying out in their homes would significantly impact downtown
0: yeah certainly um You know, uh, one of the demographers I talked to for a story I wrote about this this week uh, was talking about the idea of hybridization instead of urbanization, where you just have, you know, people that uh, don't want to be there every day and don't have to because they've proven, you know, recently that they can work remotely more often. Um, And if you have people that don't want to take public transportation or aren't doing it as often, well, what does that mean for all the, downtown businesses, even if they're just coming downtown, you know, maybe one or two days less a week. If enough people do that, you know, the the bars and restaurants and coffee shops and retailers that have been really hit hard by this pandemic downtown anyway, you know, they need a lot of help. And if they have fewer customers that are going to be downtown every day, you know, what does that do to do you have more boarded up storefronts? Do you have less vibrant downtown? And does that make it then less attractive to people? I mean, you could see all these different challenges piling up.
2: And if you have, uh, say, companies downsizing, not using as much office space, it's not like that space is very easy to repurpose. You know, to, to just use it for something else. It's not easy to just turn it into apartments or something.
0: Right, and and I think that uh, the overwhelming response I get from net for you know recently from these companies and from real estate brokers and landlords. I mean, they all. I think that a lot of people think. Look, offices have a a place in the future in this post-COVID world, but are they a lot less dense? Do they look differently? Are they used differently? You know, maybe much more about, look, we have to do things, you know, when we have to be here just for meetings and things like that, as opposed to everyday individual work, Um, you know, and, and certainly there's all kinds of questions about workplace culture and things that people say, well, we need offices for you know, building teams, getting people to collaborate. Because remember, all, you, all the people that you're working with on Zoom these days are people you know because of face-to-face interaction. So, you know, how, uh, it's just an accurate depiction of what long-term remote work looks like. Um, so I think there will be a place for office, and I just think it's uh, – certainly we could see some of the older office buildings that were about to lose big tenants anyway, get repurposed into, you know, apartments uh, or, or other uh, types of uses. Um but, but, boy, it's, it's – I mean, I think if you're an investor uh, in real estate right now and you're looking at downtown, it's really hard to figure out what is going to last from, from COVID and what's not.
2: And probably impacts new construction, I would imagine, as well, not only existing buildings.
0: Absolutely. Well, you think about, you know, how much downtown the Central Business District has grown with the West Loop and Full Market District. And, you know, it's just the, the physical footprint of downtown has gotten bigger over the past decade-plus. You know, on top of that, you got these mega projects like Lincoln Yards and the 78 that would extend it even further. And those would be these, you know, massive, uh, sprawling campuses of offices and apartments. And, you know, in some ways, those look more attractive now, but you got to finance them. And, you know, when you're talking about doing something that uh, would expand downtown, yet if potentially some of the central parts of downtown are vacant or not as attractive, I, There's all kinds of questions that raises for investors.
2: People are finding alternative places to work from. They are also finding alternative places to vacation in. Cindy Richards is joining us now, editor-in-chief of TravelingMom.com here in Chicago. Cindy, are we seeing a lot of people looking for driving trips?
6: We are. There are people getting on airplanes, but, but more people are getting in their cars and driving to destinations that are closer to home so that if something doesn't feel right when they get there, they can get home pretty easily.
2: So let's talk about some of the places that they are able to get to. Um, Parks, outdoor spaces, are those popular?
6: Well, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that come to our website, um, that's the stuff that they're searching for. They're looking for beaches. Our beach content is way up. Our national parks content, people are looking for those kind of stories. Um, People want to be where other people aren't as much as they can, and they want to be outside in the fresh air as much as they can do it.
2: Yeah, they want something beautiful, too. They, You know, they sort of want an experience as well.
6: Absolutely. And boy, if you've ever been to some of our national parks, it is a breathtaking experience. Um, so, and, and, and even when you go to a national park, what you have to remember is you, you kind of have to go to the places in the national park where other people aren't. I mean, you know, places like Yellowstone, they bring in busloads of people to watch Old Faithful erupt, and then they get back on the bus and they leave. But what you want to do is, Get there. Ask the, the park ranger, what are the most popular trails, and what are the, what are your favorite trails? Because those are probably the ones where people aren't. And the rangers will point you to the trails that are going to be gorgeous and breathtaking, and you're going to kind of have them to yourself.
2: Is New York a real a real travel destination at this point?
6: No, I wouldn't think so. There aren't, you know, unless you have a really compelling reason to go there. I don't think uh, New York is going to be on most people's um, radar right now. It's definitely not a popular search on our site.
2: What about the Disney fans? Uh, I know the parks are reopening here. What's that situation like?
6: Well, they are. And the people who are the super fans, um, in other words, the people who already had tickets, are ready to go. Most of them. I mean, if you don't have an underlying medical condition that makes you nervous about contracting COVID-19, then travel isn't a big deal, right? You're, you're ready to go. Everybody wants a summer vacation. And those Disney superfans are ready to go. And they're kind of excited about it because, you know, at 50% capacity, you're going to get to do a lot more in the Disney parks than you could when it was it was super crowded and you spend a lot of your time waiting in line.
2: Yeah, And one of the things that frustrated people about Disney and a lot of the theme parks is all of that time waiting in line. Now they, they really can't let you do that unless they're going to stretch out these lines with everyone six to eight feet apart. I mean, the line will stretch throughout the park.
6: Exactly. And, and we have we have a whole story on travelingmom.com about what Disney's going to look like, what you need to know. And, yes, I mean, they're going to limit things like that, and they're going to get rid of, you know, they're going to limit the fast passes. So you're going to be waiting in line, but the lines are going to be shorter because there's not going to be as many people there. You're going to be standing six feet apart. Um, but, you know, you're going to get on the rides. You're going to be able to to do the things you go to Disney to
2: do. Theme parks will look different, so will movie theaters, if they're around at all. Several movie theater chains are looking to get back open here over the next couple of weeks because otherwise they're just going to go out of business. Let's talk about that with Paul Deer-Garabedian, a senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore. He is based in Los Angeles. Paul, it is always good to hear from you with some analysis of this industry Movie theater chains are really hurting. However, if they're going to reopen, it's just not going to be the same.
7: It's that's exactly right, Cisco. And I think it's uh, you know time is of the essence for theaters because, like you said, three months the theaters have been on pause. Drive-ins have been doing really well, but for these brick and mortar theaters, especially these theater chains that have a massive footprint in terms of their Their presence uh, and, and what that costs in rent every month or property tax, the monthly nut of a movie theater, even when it's shut down, it's very expensive. So they desperately want and need the theaters to open up. So that they can have that product so that they can have the movies in theaters get people back in theaters. But there's the safety and health concerns that are of the utmost importance.
2: So they're planning for people to be back while the pandemic is still going on. I'm guessing the movie going experience is going to be very different.
7: It is. I think uh, certainly uh, right now when you go out to various stores that are reopening, you have to wear a mask. That's going to make for an interesting way to eat popcorn. I don't know exactly how you're going to do that. <laughs> but I think people are just raring to get back to the theater, but they have to temper that with wanting to feel safe and secure. This goes for any brick-and-mortar business, any communal business like a bar or a restaurant. But people love that movie-going experience. And like I said, you know, people have all this stuff at home on streaming all this great content but they're still seeking out the drive-in but going to a movie theater with your family or friends it's going to look different that experience of the big screen that part will remain the same that 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 immersive big screen experience but again everybody has to feel safe we don't want anyone going out too soon but the, it'll all be all about the perception of safety in theaters. And I think theater owners are going to do a really good job of making people feel safe and secure because that's their bread and butter. They want people back in the movie theater, and they want them to come back time and again.
2: So probably no more uh, absolutely jam-packed movie theaters where every seat is full.
7: Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that for a while. I think, too, it's going to be interesting because... Because for a lot of people, it's going to feel almost like a private screening because you're going to to have all this distance between people in California, for instance, they're already ramping up at 25% capacity in each auditorium, uh, hoping to get to 50%. That's going to hold for quite a long time. I think it's going to be a very long time before we see every seat in a movie theater taken up, but... I think just to have people back, to have movies like Tenet and Wonder Woman uh, separate in the coming weeks, I think that's really good. And we just hope everyone uh, stays safe and healthy and there's no problems there because I think we really all want to get back to those things that we love. And going to the movie theater is one of those things.
2: That's Paul Dear garabedian Senior Media Analyst for ComScore, based in Los Angeles. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thank you for joining us. I'm Cisco Cogo.